Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 145. I'm Jeremy, and as always, I'm joined with my two co-hosts, Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. Speaking of Cool Stuff Inc., we'd like to thank them for sponsoring this awesome podcast with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. How are you guys doing this week? Good. Uh, medium. Be- better than last week, I think. I think both Ed and I are feeling significantly better as far as like the plague front. Well, that's good to hear. Um, we finally had some stuff happen with Modern Horizons. Ed, if you want to go ahead and get into the final part of the set. Um, I think uh, we actually hit on the vast majority of Modern Horizons last Monday. Um, obviously, the more exciting spoilers tend to be front-loaded. That's just how they kind of build hype for the set. And by the time the full spoiler was out on um, Friday, a lot of the exciting mythics, a lot of the uh, the major things that they want to get out there was more or less done. Uh, I think the biggest hits that uh, were unveiled later in the week was the new Time Twister, um, Aeon something. Um, it's basically Time Twister for six mana, and then you can flash it back for three mana, which is the same cost as the original Pyre 9 Time Twister. Um, that in itself has a lot of implications for... Uh, for older formats, um, the the most visible one was it made Lion's Eye Diamond go up. Uh, it's a pretty obvious way to get the card itself into your graveyard if you have Lion's Eye Diamond in your hand. Uh, or if you have um, that card in your hand, you just sacrifice Lion's Eye Diamond, you discard your hand, it conveniently provides you three mana to flash it back and time twister. Um, it's unknown if that's actually good enough for Legacy. Um, I don't think it is. We've always seen various iterations of fixed Power 9 cards before. Um, and realistically, the only one that has ever been truly broken are Moxin-like effects. Um, I realize there's a Moxin and Mox Tanalite uh, more, more on that shortly. Um, that being said, I don't think the I don't think this particular card is good enough to see competitive play. Um, uh, it's certainly a very, very good commander card. I think that's probably going to be where most of the value will be derived from. But I think like these people that are trying to use um, trying to use it plus like Narset Modern, I just or in conjunction with Faithless Looting, I think those are just a little bit too clunky, a little bit too goofy. Probably don't really see a shell where those those types of things make sense. Um, so that one to me feels like a bit of a bus. Um, I think the other uh, revelation from uh, the Vols spoiler was there weren't a lot of notable reprints. I think a lot of people had expected things like uh, Cabal Coffers, Ristic Study, uh, Worldly Tutor, kind of these um, these commander cards that have uh, avoided a reprint for a long time. Uh, 
that are relatively expensive because of it. Rissick Study is sixteen dollars. Worldly Tutor is twelve. Uh, uh, Cabal says trending up in a year. Just copy you can really find online from a reputable seller that isn't selling a a moderate plate or worse copy is like forty eight dollars or something. Um, it might have gone down a little bit, but I remember seeing them quite expensive. Um, but those were the major reprints that people were expecting, um, and we didn't really see any of those. I think that as a result of that, it's kind of caused the EV of the box itself, uh, of Modern Horizons box, to drop a bit. Um, probably because people were hoping to get, again, some of the heavy hitters in their boxes to guarantee them some amount of value. Um, and without them, it's, it's, it, it's depressed the value because hype for the new cards alone probably is enough to keep the boxes high. And I think those were like the two. I think those were the two main points on Modern Horizons that I kind of thought about when I saw the full spoiler. Um, obviously, there's a few other like smaller exciting things, but those were the two ones that I think had the most financial implications. Jim, um, I think I agree with most of Ed said there. Um, like I had expected more. Exciting, not ex exciting is a bad word. Maybe more like nostalgic reprints in this set. Um, it's odd to see like the there's an astral slide like sim. It's similar but not the same. But it's like a functional reprint of astral slide. But we didn't get like anything like lightning rift. So I don't like. There's no thing to kill people with. Like there's just a lot of cards that could have been in the set that were reprints that people would have been excited for but aren't necessarily very good uh and i think that a lot of those were missing from this set that's kind of surprising um as far as like cards i think are particularly good for this set that i think most people are sleeping on um i think that there's seasoned pyromancer is probably still one of the best cards in the set and i don't think it's quite as expensive as it should be um if you Basically, when I look at a card, I read it, you know, if it reads well, I'll remember it, and then really, it, it's ultimately up to whether or not it plays well, and um, I don't play a lot of modern, so I usually have to watch content to uh, get a feel for what how, how good a card is. Uh, I saw the Versus Live series. Uh, Todd Anderson played Season Pyromancer a lot, and every time he cast that card, it looked insane. Um, it's just a ton of value, gives you a ton of filtering. Um, you know, it does stuff in your graveyard. It gets around a lot of weird things like uh, Graph Dicker's Cage and stuff like that that would otherwise have kept it from being able to be made into more guys. Like, it, it feels like the kind of card that people are going to play four of in a lot of their decks and are going to be mad that they didn't buy when it was like $15 instead of when it's $50. Now, I'm not saying that this is a $50 card. I think it is like the worst case scenario for a mythic out of this set is it could be like $50. And I don't think that that one is necessarily going to be Urza or red and N six. It, it really depends on like what cards really pick up in modern and become mainstays there. Um, as, as, as far as like other cards that were spoiled, um, like there's a couple of things that I think might be pretty good. Aria flame seems like a card that, uh, doesn't read very well, but plays very well. Um, and then there's just like a bunch of random cards that could be sideboard cards that I'm not actually quite sure how good they're going to be. 
like Flusterstorm and Collector Oof and just weird stuff like that. So I'm not sure how to like gauge this set. Um, I know that there's a lot of sweet casual cards and that's the kind of stuff that I want to own. So I'm excited for it to come out, even though I said I wasn't going to buy any sealed product. Um, and I don't know, it, like, it really depends, I guess, on how people perceive the limited format to be, whether or not um, stock of this will stay uh, readily available to a lot of vendors. I think regardless of the limited set, um, this set is shaping up to be better and better the more that we look at this long-term, sort of what Bernie from Moosloot alluded to last week. Um, snow-covered lands and a lot of this casual stuff that hasn't been seen before are definitely going to drive players to purchase these packs and definitely create a short supply issue um, the first couple weeks of this set being out. I really do like what uh, Bernie and Ed's strategy is. I think it's just important to emphasize what um, they're doing slash targeting, where Ed has called this, what, like two years in a row at least, um, you wait for these sets to come out. You wait for everything to hit their floor, such as Mana Crypt that we've seen. We've seen Horizon Canopy, anything from Ultimate Masters, Iconic Masters, etc. And you wait to see what's starting to see play that hasn't been printed before or something that has shown itself to have the potential to rise, like it did the first or second time it was printed. And you target those cards, and you should see a pretty nice double up two or so years after the set comes out. Um, the other thing that's interesting to note because of this coming out, as Ed noted last week, um, we only have a month of War of the Spark being open before this essentially drops and took away all the hype. So it'll be interesting to see, even with War of the Spark probably being the most open set in history, where those cards go next year with players switching drafts halfway through or if it taps them out of money because a lot of shops are charging a ton of money for pre-release and draft. Um, but I do like seeing what I do like noting what we'll see play in legacy and vintage, not necessarily targeting foils because in my opinion, that's a little harder to move personally, but definitely picking up some non foils when TCG is a complete race to the bottom about what six weeks after release or so. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, anecdotally, all my players are now excited for this. Um, it, this does come in Russian, which is interesting to me and only me. Um, it'll be interesting to see where the price of Russian foil snow-covered lands goes. Um, so the, the set's released in every language, right? It's printed in everything? One more time. Uh, so this, this set is like a normal standard legal set where it's printed in every language, right? Like it should be available in English, Japanese, Russian, Korean... German, Spanish, French, etc. I don't remember if it is specifically in Chinese and Korean, but I do know that there will be Russian boxes printed. I think Ed would probably know the answer to that question. I do believe that it's released in all traditional languages that a standard box would be printed in. Okay. So then definitely in that case, foil snow-covered lands are something to just keep an eye on if you like foreign cards. Uh, I was going to say, I'll, I'll go look up um, the announcement because it'll probably stay in there somewhere. So while while we wait for me to figure that out, you can uh, continue. 
Yeah, because Cold Snap was not printed in Russian. So this is the first printing of Russian foil snow-covered lands that are also full art. Um, so for people that like Russian cards, it's just something to keep in mind. It's obviously a 1% you know, Magic player thing, but it is just something to keep in mind. If your LGS gets boxes locally and one of the randos at your shop opens up a foil Russian card. Anything you want to add to that, Ed? Um, I... It's it's kind of interesting on that we were uh, I was discussing the topic of foreign boxes with someone uh, this past weekend. Um, obviously, foreign boxes hasn't really been probably on most people's mind until War of Spark, obviously with the alternate art Japanese planeswalkers. Uh, most stores that I've talked to, it seems like in recent history they've basically all but stopped ordering foreign product. Uh, the real nail in the coffin for that was when uh, you could no longer order product direct from Wizards of the Coast. I think that was about last August or so when that happened. Um, and so I feel like stores might be feeling that it's possible they might be missing out on some sort of secret benefit from boxes that are not revealed uh, until close to the time, at which point it's probably too late to order especially if their distributors don't have any in stock. That being said, I'm not sure if how gung-ho people are going to be about ordering boxes again. It does feel like War of the Spark was was certainly an anomaly. It's not something that we should expect to happen on a regular basis in the future. It's one of those, it's cool when it does happen, but it certainly shouldn't be the norm. Um, so I don't think there will be too much... Um, too much foreign product out there. Like Jeremy seems to like Jeremy clearly likes Russian cards, so it's no surprise that he would have Russian boxes in stock. I don't. I don't think too many stores are going to go out of the way to keep you know Japanese Modern Horizons or some of the products on. So I know I'm kind of that going forward, people just revert back to we'll only keep English in stock. We may keep a small smattering of foreign product, but it's likely that interests. Oh, Interest in foreign product will just wait over time until we get until we see something else happen with some foreign language ultra art secret printing or something. Is anyone surprised that there's no like weird gimmicky thing for this? Like, there's no box toppers. There's no alternate art foil things. Like, am I the only one that's a little surprised that there wasn't like any like last minute gotchas? It's not outside the realm of possibility for that to happen. Um, we technically, uh, War of the Spark, they technically didn't divulge that information until three days before pre release. Uh, pre release is this weekend. I guess in theory they could divulge something on Wednesday, um, especially if it, were something, if it were something to be opened up inside the boxes, they might not say anything about it at all. Right? They could very well wait until people start opening up boxes like they did with Zendikar Treasures. It it wasn't a thing until until people around the world started posting online on online forums. This was like back in two thousand eight when people still use forums. Um, hey, I opened up a piece of power, or opened up a dual land inside my Zendikar box. Uh, or more recent history with Journey into Nyx, someone t people started tweeting out that they opened up a god pack that had all fifteen gods in it. Um, that's the type of thing where they probably would let people 
get excited on their own without necessarily saying that there is something special happening here. Um, so I, it's, I am surprised that nothing gimmicky has happened yet, but it would not surprise me if something gimmicky were to happen. It just hasn't been publicly revealed to us yet. And something we'll discover either at the pre-release this weekend as people are opening up product or next week when we have stores opening up their boxes. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to see if they do any gimmicks. I think um, the only gimmick was players like finally like coming up for air from a pool where they're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about spoilers anymore. And then Wizards was like, hey, guess what? We have Modern Horizons coming. And like, it, it's not necessarily product fatigue because I feel like players have been conditioned for that over the last year. But um, yeah, there's a lot of products coming out. So it feels like a month after, uh, actually, yeah, it is a month after like the set comes out, we start getting hit with 2020 spoilers. Um, I don't think they need to do a gimmick. I think this product is successful enough. I am interested to see with cost per pack being around 450, how many, like what price shops are going to sell this at? Because there's going there's already shops that like try to make a living making like, five bucks a box shipping this stuff. Um, so it will be interesting to see if the bigger retailers charge like six or $7 a pack and then not necessarily the greedier shops, but the shops that don't care as much will charge like eight to $10 a pack. Um, so it will be interesting to see where the price of these packs settle, not necessarily online, but definitely in the uh, brick and mortar shops. So I'm just curious about what shops will be pricing this at, basically. Anything else with, with uh, Modern Horizons? No, so that I looks think, sweet. I think, I, think, I think that's overall verdict. Obviously, we'll just have to wait until next week until we see what happens. I imagine we'll certainly visit week one, week two implications of Modern Horizons once we actually have it out. Um, but for now, I think we've done a pretty good job of covering all the bases for Mon Horizon previews. Okay, so How let's much? move into uh, the London Mulligan, which has been thoroughly debated all over Twitter today. Um, half the Legacy players say that Legacy is over. A lot of vintage players are not happy. There's data out there showing specifically that for Legacy, the London Mulligan makes it a better format. Um, financially, do you guys see anything happening due to this rule officially being implemented? Ed, have you seen any trends already due to Wizards confirming that this will be the official Mulligan rule going forward for all formats? Um, I think the biggest one and the most obvious one is Serum Powder has more or less disappeared again. Um, it's not clear to me that it's good. Uh, if we objectively look at it, I believe Frank Carson wrote article wrote an article about it. Uh, the most basic one is if you have four serum powders in your deck and you have one very specific card you're trying to find, i.e. or Baghdad Infinity Edge, your likelihood of being able to find it with the London Mulligan rule with serum powder goes up to an unreasonably high number. Um, I am not certain that this is the correct rule uh granted i didn't play with it enough and from uh from my interactions with a lot of the pro players uh a lot of my friends who are preparing for uh magic mythic championship london they weren't able to find an interaction that truly broke modern 
utilizing the London Mulligan rule. It's one of those things where it is certainly a double-edged sword. I think that uh, a lot of the points that were brought up, if you actually read the article by Ian Duke, uh, he certainly addressed a lot of the concerns. Um, the most notable being that Storm decks, or not Storm decks, Combo decks as a whole would become more powerful. It's easier for them to find pieces, especially the combo decks that are A plus B. They need multiple pieces to work. Uh, whether that just be Storm or Tron, etc. Um, it'd be easier for them to find all their matching pieces, especially we saw how successful Tron was, excuse me, in London. It's relatively relatively easily easy to get uh, to get your game plan going when you are uh, able to see seven cards on a constant basis and just get rid of the cards you don't want. Uh, the flip side to that is with uh, more fair decks, control decks, Jund, etc. They were more likely to be able to find their hate cards. You can mulligan more aggressively for them, especially if you're only playing one or two of you know, Fulmir Mages, Surgical Extractions, these types of cards in your sideboard. Seeing a, seeing a constant stream of seven allows you to find them more easily. Um, that being said, Wizards did not really publish any data, despite the fact that they have data. Um, I don't know what that data looks like. I imagine it is some combination of uh, taking data from Mythic Championship, which, for what I'm told by my friends, they were asked to keep track of how many times they mulliganed on their slip. Um, and then uh, for a short period on Magic Online, the London Mulligan rule is also in effect, which allowed players to test for uh, the Mythic Championship. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think um, it's one of those things where it's very easy to blow up proportions, where obviously people will naturally gravitate towards the extremes and try and use those as the de facto example for why this shouldn't work. Um, I remember when the Vancouver Mulligan rule was first in effect, people were saying Delver would just take over every format, um, which clearly it didn't. Um, but again, that was kind of the example that people just constantly revisited. Um, uh, Storm uh, combo decks were also on the chopping block. Uh, then people people kept saying that this just adds consistency to combo decks, which in theory, Mulligan rules, uh, the goal is generally in favor. Um, I imagine the intent of the London Mulligan was not for older formats, not necessarily keeping combo decks in mind, um, but more so to make balanced standard games, balanced limited games. Um, but um, I, I do think that it won't have as big of an impact or as negative an impact as people will think. The nature of magic is that the games are naturally self-correcting, formats are self-correcting, people will figure out how to optimize and find ways to fight um, fight combo decks with fire. If we do see combo decks become too good, then obviously wizards will step in. Um, but if they do become too good, it's the nature of the combo deck itself being too good. Uh, they had already addressed that there were several that were uh, they were keeping note of, uh, mainly uh, Karn plus Mycosynth Lattice and um, the Neoform Allosaurus Rider Grizzleman combo deck that's out there. Um, if those do become too good, again, it won't, it, I would argue that it's not the virtue of the London Mulligan itself. It's more that those decks would have been good underneath uh, the Vancouver Mulligan rule. Um, 
and they probably fundamentally break modern in a way that would have happened regardless of whether or not the rule changed. Um, I don't, th I don't think something like serum powder is again, going to fundamentally change the way um, older formats work. Um, so I think it's one of those things we just have to let it play itself out and see what happens. But again, I think people are overreacting to the negative impact of what um, of what this was. I certainly don't think vintage and legacy are going to be any worse off than than their current status. Uh, as someone that plays exclusively Commander, uh, Sheldon Mennery posted today on Twitter that they were going to consider this rule. It is not in effect for Commander yet, but I can't see this not being the rule for Commander because uh, they changed from their initial partial Paris to this uh, current system, and I don't I don't see a reason why they wouldn't just keep it the same as whatever all the other ones that exist. So if you play Commander, uh, it's probably going to change to this uh, London Mulligan rule as well. Uh, ultimately, I don't think it matters all that much because really you just want to have enough lands to cast all your spells like combo decks and Commander. Or like Competitive EDH decks are, are far and few between depending on like what kind of, uh, what kind of people you play with. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure that this is going to negatively impact anybody's ability to play commander and i don't think that there's enough like because you can only play one copy of every card anyway it's unlikely to like give you a significant boost in the amount of consistency you have of finding specific cards yeah um with the london morgan specifically it's good that um we all have three different opinions on which formats um legacy crystal brand just gets insane with the london morgan so expect his price to go up it's definitely not something you should buy unless you want to play with him um, because Crystal Brand will most likely be banned in Legacy with this change or some version of the Black Red Reanimator deck will get banned. Um, data has shown that um, I believe Julian Nab on Twitter, who is a massive EU Legacy player, they compiled a bunch of data across hundreds of leagues and Red Black Reanimator gets like 300% better with the uh, London Mulligan, which means Wizards will probably look into banning Gristlebrand or something of that nature. Um, obviously, we have to see how the data shakes out. I do think it's funny that my Legacy 10k is right after this rules change, so we're like the first big Legacy tournament with data. Um, so I'm expecting a lot of Gristlebrand decks or other decks that improve with the London Mulligan. Um, something to note for Legacy specifically is Goblins is going to be switching to red-black most likely or testing it with the London Morgan. Um, the London Morgan interacts very well with Grenzo, which is good in Goblins. Um, that's the Conspiracy 1 rare that lets you take a creature from the bottom of your deck and put it onto the battlefield. Um, the version that a lot of people are testing seems to do very well with just mowing to Grenzo and putting Goblins on the bottom, which essentially means that you're playing with uh, double future side at that point. So it's just something to keep in mind. Anything else you guys want to talk about with the London Morgan? Again, I would just encourage to let people play it out. There's, It's mostly speculation right now. Um, I would argue that, again, referring to my point back about modern, if 400, 500 player of the best players in the world couldn't find a way to 
meaning meaningfully break modern with the London London Mulligan rule, I would say it's fine. Uh, it's again one of those things to let to let play out. People are always going to be resilient to wanting change. Just let it play out. I imagine most of the time, probably more than ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of the time, it'll be fine. Um, it's no different than right now so like a card a tron player bulging the three happening to keep two tron lands and then scrying the third one to the top and naturally drawing a card or something to crush you on turn three uh the fuel bads will always be there just let it play out just let just let it run its course and see what actually happens rather than being too critical of the rule change great point uh jim let's go ahead and get into our credit winner of the week who won this week and can you pronounce their name uh, our winner this week is Benjamin Boisvert. I don't know. That's probably wrong. Uh, he says, Hi, aristocrats. I recently decided to start building a paper copy of the MTGO cube. I plan on finishing that cube in five-ish years, buying the cards when I see a good uh, good price. eBay coupons, Facebook, Twitter deals, afterward prints, etc. Uh, since this process will take time, do you think I should start by trying to purchase power, duels, or mid-tier reserve list cards like Survival of the Fittest, Palancron, Wheel of Fortune, etc. Thanks and keep up the great work. Um, I don't know without looking it up what the like year-over-year uh, increases in specific types of reserve list cards are like. Uh, I feel like without a reprint of the Fetchlands that it usually well like last time it uh it buoyed the prices of duels which buoyed the prices of power i think that given how difficult power is to come by i think that would be the first thing that i would recommend purchasing it's the least likely to go down if you decide in like a year you're like maybe i don't want to build this cube all the way or i need to sell the cards because something came up i think that power is probably the thing i would purchase first and then work my way down from there. There are cards like in the lower tiers of reserve list cards that could get very expensive if a newer card was printed. But ultimately, if it doubles in price, you're not going to lose that much money because, uh, like, survival, palindrome, wheel of fortune. Like, even if they double up, it's still not as much as like a five or six hundred dollar increase in a piece of power because you know, oh, it's it's you know everything is going up because people can afford to trade up for it. Um, I also think that power in particular is going to be a harder thing to find a good deal on. So if you do, you might as well get it then because I, I can't imagine that there's just like a ton of this available to get a good quote unquote good deal on. Um, there's a lot to this question. Uh, I think the two main points are that, that you should consider that uh, regarding this is uh, five years is a long time uh, for you to be working on this. I imagine I haven't seen the Moto Power Cube, the full list. I imagine we're looking at basically a mini vintage collection, as it were. I, so if we look at what I, a full set of power plus the big cards, uh, Tabernacle, Mishra's Workshop. Uh, bizarre, etc. Uh, along with the set of like duels and reserveless cards, I imagine you're probably looking at a thirty thousand dollar cube. Uh, again, give or take, this isn't a perfect number. Um, the power, the power nine set alone is probably about thirteen thousand right now. Um, 
Uh, five years is, is a long time. Uh, I don't know how old you are. I don't know what your status is in life right now, but um, you might have very, very different goals in five years. I think starting with the biggest things, starting with power of duels are probably where you um, where you want to be. Like Jim said, if you do end up in a point where you decide that um, – you know, you don't, you don't want, you don't want to finish the cube. You're tired of magic. You, you want to buy an engagement ring. You want to put down payment on a home. Being able to cash out on your power and your duels is certainly going to be the easiest thing. Um, if again, if you look, if you if you end up with you know forty percent of the cube or whatever with just seven pieces of power and some duels, for example, that you picked up, if you walked in GP, it's very likely that you'll be able to sell those cards without taking a huge hit relative to what you paid for them without too much difficulty trying to sell a bunch of middling cards as you refer to uh survival the fails pound crown wheel of fortune you're probably not going to get the best buy list on them mainly because they are hard sells they don't sell quickly um not every vendor might be interested in them um so that's what i would consider um the second thing uh especially because you had mentioned that the time frame for this is uh, there's a very, very basic rule in investing. Um, and that is in real world investing, not it does apply to cardboard as well. Um, but the phrase is um, time in the market beats timing the market. And what that actually refers to is if you look at any sort of, uh, stock index or any individual stock as a whole um, it will always go up over time and it rewards the people who are in the market for a longer period of time as opposed to the people who tried to buy at opportunistic times um, for example if we if we translate this to cardboard uh, we could we could say that an underground sea was cheaper a few months ago as compared to its historic high Las Vegas. Las Vegas, we were looking at buy lists of like $700 and underground seas were selling for $850, $900. If you had waited until about September, October, you could be buying underground seas for as little as four or five hundred or so. So in your mind, you might it might think you might think that you made a deal buying to historic of $700, $800, or whatever. But in reality, if you had purchased those underground seas several years ago, you would have wait. You would have made way more money than waiting until now. Um, in the real world, if you look at the S and P or the Dow Jones, uh, they've basically done nothing but trend upwards, despite the fact that there were dips after two thousand one, after the recession in two thousand eight. There were always these small dips, but the market itself recovered higher than what they had than what they were pre recession. Um, Magic cards are basically the same way. Magic cards are more expensive now than they are ever. You, we could look at, you know, if we, a Scotland card is actually a perfect example, or the Zena card fetches. There were points when they were at lows with uh, the 17 reprint, but now um, Scotland cards basically teetering on the highest point, even prior to reprint when modern was brand new and all the fetches were just exploding in price along with other modern staples. Um, so that's that's more or less the principle of investing. Um, I imagine that there is some value of investment you're looking to get out of a powered cube. Um, so my best recommendation would be if this is something you're definitely set on doing, just start at the top. 
Uh, keep your eye out for cheap power, cheap duels. Get those out of the way, and then slowly work your way down. Yeah, Ed, um, I disagree with you on two things. You said power is 13,000. Uh, I just looked up SCG BIOS. Even on plate, it's like 17,500 channel fireball, and the rest are sort of around there, and that's BIOS right now, not retail. Um, so keep that in mind. I think that power is the best investment if you're going to get it first. Even when we've seen other magic cards retrace, power has not um, gone down as much. It's also easier to get a 80 to 90% number on power from a vendor or a player than it is for dual lands. I think you should, I think most players should focus on getting their power sooner than later and then waiting for November to buy dual lands and reserveless cards that are low tier. The reason is we explained this on a previous cast is that those cards are currently going up and there's like, it doesn't make sense unless you're trying to flip them or unless you're trying to do what Ed did, uh, said and like go long in the market. Um, it makes more sense to buy the power first in case you like regret it um, first. So like if you get $15,000 in and you own like eight pieces of power or whatever, um, and then you're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's much easier to get your money back than if you have like what Ed said, survivals, wheel fortunes, power crunch. But the other reason is there will come a point in the next year where prices will go down and bios will go down. And at that point you target sort of what Ed and I talked about last year, you'd start targeting those cards at their low around Black Friday deals, which is another thing to keep in mind. There probably won't be Black Friday deals on stuff like power that will be competitive, but there will definitely be Black Friday deals on reserveless cards with bigger spreads like Palancron or Memory Jar or um, Mind Over Matter, where we start to see vendors pay less towards the end of the year and you start to get a bigger spread. So... I would keep that in mind, Ben. Jim, where can Ben claim his credit for this week? And where can people leave questions for next week? Uh, you can send me an email, Ben. You can send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. And then during the next cast, I will send you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffing.com. Uh, if you'd like to win next week, you can leave a question on the coolstuffing.com page. It will go up uh, probably Tuesday uh, with our podcast. All right. So let's go ahead and get into our credit winner, or sorry, and get into our pick. Are you just giving away more credit, Jeremy? Uh, uh, Jim is personally buying a $25 gift card for this episode. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our pick of the week, Ed. Is there anything you've noticed lately with the new changes or the Grand Prix uh, yesterday, I guess, that caught your eye? Uh, this weekend was a standard Grand Prix. This I'm already starting to look at standard for next season. Um, I think this is basically the time to be buying Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Legions. Those have basically stopped being opened up. Uh, there really isn't going to be a substantial amount more supply than what's already on there. I really like Legion Warboss. It was probably the top-selling card this weekend, mainly because it fits a good sideboard role in the mono-red decks. And I imagine this card itself is the type of card that will just always be good in standard for as long as it is in its current iteration. But it's these. this is the type of card that works well into an anti-control deck strategy, um, whatever. Uh, it does... 
feel a little expensive right now at five dollars, six dollars. That are the cheapest copies on TCR, but I don't imagine this will get um, too much lower than that. And I'd be fine buying. I'd be fine spending twenty dollars on a set, buying it right now to get out of the way. Um, we were charging basically market price at seven dollars, and we couldn't keep them in stock all weekend, um, as people need them for the Grand Prix. Um, so if you need, if you do plan on playing standard, I think it's easy enough to get out of the way right now. Um, I don't necessarily hate buying a bunch of copies and sitting on them until the fall either when these, these could easily pop up to $10, $12 or so. Uh, my pick this week is uh, snow-covered, uh, full-arc snow-covered lands. Uh, I think that it's unlikely that they get very much cheaper than they are right now. Uh, I'm looking at TCG Player, and you can order the Swamp for $0.75, cents, the Island for about a dollar, the Mountain for about a dollar ten, the, the Plains for $0.54, cents, and the Forest for $0.61. Cents. Those are the lowest prices for all vendors that have more than, like, eight. Uh, yeah, except for the Forest. I guess you, or the Plains, you have to pay an extra penny, whatever. Um I'm personally probably going to buy about 30 of each um, for commander decks. Like there's no reason for if any of these cards, if any of the snow cards are good, these are going to be more expensive than they are now. If any of them are just as reasonable as they are, as you think they are, and you ever want to play them in the future. Like, I don't feel like there's a very good chance that they are going to print another round of snow covered full art lands. So this might be a pretty good time for you to get in. Um, I personally am probably going to buy at least $100 worth of Snowlands because uh, I will want to play them in some sort of deck eventually. And previous to this, uh, a lot of them were quite expensive. I think the Mountain was like 4 or $5 each or something like that. Um, and you can buy them for a dollar now. So this is the kind of time where like a reprint is especially powerful. There was one in every pack, so there won't be a... You know, a, a there won't be trouble getting them, but uh, for the peace of mind, I, I'm really not like that interested in waiting to see if they go down a little bit more. Like, even if I could pay, you know, a quarter less on every mountain, even if I buy, if I buy forty mountains, I spend, uh, you know, uh, ten less dollars. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, math is hard. At the end of the day, I don't think that's like going to save me a whole lot of money. I'm going to save a ton of money right now because the mountains are a dollar instead of four dollars so for every like basically for the amount of, that it cost me to buy two and a half mountains before this reprint i can get 40 mountains and uh that seems like there's there's just no reason not to get them now my pick of the week is Ayula's Influence. This is a card that is definitely going to see play in commander from modern horizons you discard a land and create a tutu bear um this is going to go down to like a bulker most likely, but there's a ton of EDH decks that want this card, and I really like targeting both the foil and non-foil when it hits its low in about a month. Uh, are you talking about seismic bear salt? Sure. That's, that's that's what you should be calling it. Well, I'd like to call it free money when it gets to the price point that I like. Um, but yeah, where can people go ahead and find you guys? Uh, I'm Ed. You guys can find me on Twitter at edwin13. I will be headed to Taiwan in approximately 12 hours. 
And then I will be in D.C., Seattle, and Dallas to round out the month of June. My name is Jim Pasal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. I'll be in Chicago next weekend. Um, so if you play Pokemon Go, you might see me around. And uh, you can find me on this lovely podcast usually every week. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. It was a pleasure to uh, see Ed for the fifth week in a row. Uh, I'm taking June off and probably July, so you won't see me at any Grand Prix anytime soon. You can find this podcast at cartel underscore finance on Twitter, on YouTube, and SoundCloud at cartel aristocrats, and of course on our sponsor's website, coolstuffinc.com. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it as always. Have a great week, and guess what, Jim? Bye-bye.